Welcome to Seed to Scale. We're four investors with backgrounds as founders who met at the engineering school at the University of Pennsylvania. Tim Young. Nahal Mehta. Hadley Harris. Vic Singh. We started ENIAC in 2009. With more than 80 years of combined experience building our own companies. We now lead seed rounds and bold founders who use code to create transformational companies. Starting a company from the ground up is really hard. In this podcast, we'll be having conversations with some of the most interesting founders, investors, and influencers. About the ins and outs of building an early stage company. We talk about it all. Funding, growth, and everything it takes to build a lasting business. Welcome to today's episode of Seed to Scale. This is Vic Singh, a founding GP at ENIAC Ventures. Today, I'm super excited to welcome my good friend, Alex Iskold, head of Techstars New York. If you don't know what your magic moment is, and if you don't know what stickiness is, uh, you're basically flying blind. Alex and I met over 10 years ago when I backed his first startup, Adaptive Blue, which went on to become Get Glue, which was a leading social TV platform that Alex steered to a successful exit by ITV. Alex then moved on to lead Techstars New York, where he's responsible for selecting, investing in, and running each cohort and the Techstars platform in New York City. Alex is also an influential tech blogger and community organizer in New York City. We welcome you today, Alex. Great to have you here. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you take the audience through your personal and professional journey? I, I've been incredibly fortunate. We, we came to this country in 94 and we had $2,500. And uh, wow. a lot has happened since, that, since then. Um, you know, I, I graduated with an engineering degree, spent a few years on Wall Street, and then jumped into a startup scene in New York. My first company was focusing on building software tools, and uh, I got pretty lucky and sold that company to IBM back in 2000. Uh, spent some time there commercializing the tech, and then jumped back into a local startup called Data Synapse that did distributed computing. Uh, was a chief architect there, and then, as you mentioned, started a company called Adaptive Blue that initially focused on uh, semantic web and then pivoted into social TV, uh, spent six years building that startup, and then joined Techstars in New York as a managing director and has been uh, helping founders build companies for the past five years here. Can you give the audience, and especially for founders, sort of yeah, the difference in experiences between having a bootstrap startup and a venture back startup, we don't really find that a lot with um, folks in the venture community. They typically go straight to venture. So would be curious to get your quick take on that and the difference there. I mean, I'm dating myself, but back when <laughs> I started my first company, there weren't a ton of options for me to get venture capital. So, you know, I was just obsessed with this idea of building uh, software that can find bugs in other software systems and help people um, sort of write better quality software. I, I really didn't spend much time trying to get venture capital. I focused all of my energy back then on building a product that I thought people wanted. And, mm. you know, I was incredibly scrappy. I, I was, you know, uh, one of those young 25-year-old obsessed founders and, and uh, I just kept building. And then... Um, you know, I think my, my patience paid off. And then with my second startup, it started in around 2006, 2007. I think uh, venture scene in New York was a lot more established. And, and uh, when I launched, I got I got pretty lucky. And soon after I launched the company, Union Score Ventures uh, invested in it. And then 
from there, we continued to build and, and, and been fortunate to get a capital from a lot of prominent firms in New York. But, uh, you know, the, the thing that uh, I've always done is I've been trying to be scrappy with both of them, even, even when you raise venture or not, uh, you try to be like pretty scrappy. So that's kind of been my, my theme through both of them. Purely from a technology perspective, how have things evolved from the semantic web and adaptive blue to where we are today, you think? You know, what's what's happening is sort of AI and blockchain combined. Uh, in a way, I can think of it as sort of really semantic web that never never happened when, when we were trying to do it. But the idea was effectively to create a more structured forms of information that computers can reason through in a better way. And so, you know, strangely, when we look at like what's happening in the blockchain and AI today, it's a lot of the same ideas, but what I think is the approach is a lot more pragmatic. So I'm much more optimistic this time around. It feels like it feels like it's going to be, it's going to actually finally going to happen. Great. Let's move on to uh, Techstars. Can you describe the model of Techstars and how it's different from other accelerators? So Techstars is building a worldwide network that is trying to help founders around the world be successful. And the, the sort of the hallmark of Techstars is a mentorship driven model where we partner with promising startups and then uh, surround them with experienced mentors from our network who work with them closely to help uh, really accelerate and grow these companies and, and effectively prepare them for the next stage of life and helping them raise venture capital. There are, you know, so many of the Techstars programs and franchise. Can you talk about the model overarching at all? There are effectively two types of Techstars accelerators, and there's, you know, there's over 45 programs right now around the world. Wow. The, the accelerators would be a city program. This, the same kind of program that I'm running in New York is also running in Chicago, Austin, London, Berlin, bunch of other cities. And so those programs are um, horizontal, meaning we would invest in a company across different sectors. And then there's also vertically focused accelerators that are typically run in partnerships with corporate partners. So such as, you know, you, you may find a fintech program or, you know, program in Minneapolis in partnership with Target. So those are those would be vertically focused ones. That's great. And you feel that the New York ecosystem is becoming more technical? I mean, previously, New York has been known for media and finance um, and social and social. Um, do you, are you seeing hardcore engineering now in New York? I, I am actually delighted to see the change, and I think we need more of it. I frankly don't think we have enough tech-focused companies and tech-focused investors. I think it continues to be an opportunity in New York, but we're continuing to see the rise of tech. I wish we had more of it, but you know, New York's strength is not being super focused on one thing. Its strength is in diversity. So we've, we're kind of seeing a rise of like diverse set of technologies, but certainly tech is continuing to continuing to rise and become more and more dominant. You've recently become a lot more interested and bullish on blockchain technologies. Can you describe how you see that ecosystem playing out over time? I mean, it's so broad. Others are calling it the next coming of the web, but there's it's it's mired in a lot of pros and cons, but would love to hear your take on blockchain. I'm mostly excited about blockchain applications in the enterprise. Mm-hmm. We've invested in a few uh, blockchain infrastructure companies. And, you know, I think that the space is incredibly noisy and people confuse blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, uh, tokens, ICOs, all of this has sort of became hodgepodge and there's a lot of misunderstanding and greed, but 
beneath beneath all of it is there's really wonderful you know transformational innovation that I think is going to help lots and lots of our you know enterprises and industries become more sound more well structured will will give rise to sort of a flavor of semantic web but also will give rise to a lot of decentralized applications that I think I think are going to be very exciting and going to be the next platforms of the future so I'm I'm very long on blockchain tech long term obviously right now we're we're in complete chaos so near term predictions are off the table you think in the short term the enterprise adoption of blockchain will probably be more than the consumer side do you believe long term that consumers will get it yeah so i'm definitely much more bullish on enterprise from the perspective of i i believe in inductive cases i think mm. we need blockchains that are useful to single enterprise than to multiple enterprises and i think that in terms of the consumer applications, it feels like it's headed in the right direction. But these kind of changes, they, they take really long time. And sometimes there's no reason for people to adapt. I think big big problem right now is lack of clear use cases. And uh, I mean, heck, we can't even pay each other using digital currency still, right? Like we can't transfer money easily. It's so volatile. So we first have to solve these problems. We have to solve scalability. There's a lot of there's a lot of challenges ahead of us before before this can actually hit consumer mainstream. Are you looking at you know a five year or ten year horizon before you see more mass adoption of blockchain technologies? You think, or I mean, my sense is if it doesn't happen within five years, it won't happen because mm. now five years is like infinity. So much happens within five years. Um, but, you know, are we going to fully rewrite the web using decentralized tech? I think an engineer in me says TBD uh, <laughs> it's because there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with these decentralized technologies. What other sectors, as you sort of look at Techstars, new cohorts coming online, I'm sure you're you're mostly focused on the teams, uh, as you should be. But you must have some thematic interest areas and sectors that are really exciting to you and your team. Can you maybe highlight a few of those? We're, we're seeing a whole bunch of startups that are starting to personalize things like vitamins, pills. We're also seeing startups that are building technologies that allow us to store our, uh, you know, white blood cells in hopes that 20 years from now, you know, we can isolate stem cells from them and, and, uh, rejuvenate ourselves. I think mm. in general with CRISPR and a whole bunch of other breakthroughs, we're looking at, you know, within, I think our lifetime, 10 to 15 years from now, you know, massive transformations in personalized health and longevity, which are naturally really, really exciting. On the near, more near-term horizon, I'm actually very excited about subset of AI and, you know, machine learning that is going to help you know, improve human performance. I just think it's going to be wonderful when algorithms are going to watch what we're doing and, and hopefully be helpful to us. As someone who runs an accelerator, everyone is focused on the demo day. Um, and that's certainly important. Curious how you think about that. And, you know, are you preparing your founders for demo day so they could have, you know, a big successful investment round, getting out of tech stars? Um, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of things you're doing, you know, on that path. But how do you sort of think about the milestone when they graduate out of Techstars? And is Demo Day the still sort of the main event uh, that folks are thinking about when they're in the program? 
Um, well, we, we, we actually haven't had a demo day in Techstars New York in the last three years. Uh, we replaced it with what we call an investor week, where we invite investors to come and meet with the companies one-on-one. We, we found that it's, it's, it's more helpful for the founders and for investors to just meet each other and, and, and have a conversation. I always tell the founders that raising capital is sort of a side effect of you figuring out the business and growth. It really, it's been true through the past five years. The companies that are able to grow and get their story together can always raise capital. The companies that are chasing investors without traction uh, are really struggling. You have this whole sort of concept of startup hacks and sort of an encyclopedia of startup hacks. What's the best startup hack you think you can offer founders based on your whole sort of thinking around it? So my best startup hack is figure out your magic moment, mm. whether you are a consumer-facing startup or whether you are uh, a B2B startup, really thinking through magic moment, which is this point of stickiness where most of the customers won't churn. Um, you know, this is so essential it's a prerequisite for product market fit it's a prerequisite for stepping on the gas with marketing if you don't know what your magic moment is and if you don't know what stickiness is uh, you're basically flying blind well we could talk forever um, but we don't have much time left so let's switch to our quick our lightning round here you know I know that you're really into health and wellness and you know you've been running for a long time and and, and, you know, it's an important thing for you and your lifestyle. And you've, you've talked about you know, how important it is for founders as well. Um, I just didn't realize, I didn't realize you were vegan now. Was that part of, of, a, of a transition that you're making? How do you sort of think about health and wellness broadly? Well, I actually was terrible at health and wellness when I was running my second startup. Exactly. <laughs> I took over Techstars. I realized that I could not do my job if I didn't take care of myself. And and this is such a basic truth. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. So I've I've made a commitment uh, to exercise every day and I exercise about five times a week. And then two and a half years ago, I had a a meal with my former boss from Amazon and and, uh, he he basically told me he was vegan. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm gonna try it. And I tried it and uh, I'm loving it. You know, it's been two and a half years, I feel I feel energetic and healthy and I just feel like it's, I, I, I do better for others and obviously I do better for myself. So it's a lifestyle change and I'm, I'm really glad that I, that I made it. That's awesome. Uh, so a bit more controversial sort of question here. What do you think the, you're, you've been a bullish sort of ether supporter, Ethereum. What do you think the price is going to be at the end of this year and the end of 2025 on ether? So I, I think near term, <laughs> going to continue to struggle unless unless the regulations are going to roll out but that's unlikely so my prediction is between 300 to 500 uh so it's going to still it's going to still struggle near term mm-hmm. my sense is that if blockchain uh tech is going to be successful i think ether right now looks like a platform that is way ahead and so i think ether in the long term should be successful so i would i would say a success would look like 100x yeah yeah so what I would that's what I would predict for you know uh, like seven years out got it yeah I'm, 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 a, I'm very bullish on it as well but it has gone through a lull period all right Alex well um, thank you so much for for joining us today and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and always great to reconnect my pleasure thank you for having me my friend